Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast. It's my absolute pleasure to have Doug Sandler, author of Nice Guys Finish First, and also son of David Sandler. And you might remember young Dougie, who was having trouble in with his baseball. Doug, could you give a quick introduction if you can overcome the introduction I've just given you? Well, Marcus, I appreciate you having me. And uh, I know I've talked to a number of the Sandler franchise holders and uh, I enjoy it. I, I love it. I speak, very fortunately, I'm able to speak all over the country on topics of customer service and sales and and uh, and my expertise is in podcasting, so in the new media space. So it's it's always great to walk off a stage no matter where I am and somebody might say, hey, are you related to that Dave Sandler guy? And uh you know, I proudly say, yeah, I'm, I'm his son. And, and sometimes that look overcomes them when I say I'm his son. But uh, it's always nice to know that, that my dad was highly respected in the, uh, in the world of sales. I think I'd go a little bit further and say highly revered. The lives he's changed within the network, but the impact that we're having two, three, four, five generations deep from the work that he did is just exemplary. I'd like to kick off with the sort of burning question of what was it like growing up in a household? with somebody who is so experimental and so at the leading edge of his profession. What's interesting about it, Mark, is, is when you're immersed in it, you never see it. You know, it's like when you have a prospect that's, that's thoroughly involved with what you're selling and what you're providing, they don't see the sale coming because there really is no sale. You know, the ultimate sale is the one where the prospect invites you in. They help present the products and services that you have. They tell you what they're willing and what they have to pay for it. They write you the check, the check clears, and they thank you for coming. I mean, how much better can it be for that? You know, I could just sit there in front of a prospect and, and enjoy the conversation. So when I grew up as the son of Dave Sandler, I never saw any of the lessons until I look back. I'm like, oh, well, hindsight is twenty twenty. Every day was a lesson. We would uh, go fishing in a small pond that was right by our house. And I can recall a lot of the um, the techniques that he uses in the selling game or he used in the selling game, he was using on the fish as well. So, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you're selling products or services or if you're trying to land a, uh, a sunny or a trout in a, in a stream, it's all the same thing. So uh, every day was a valuable lesson for me. And every step of my career, whether I was new in, the, in business when I was just getting out of college or someone that has had a Let's see, he, he passed in 1995. So I was just in my early 30s at that point. So just kind of getting kicked off into the world of professionalism. So for me, all of those lessons he shared were, were wonderful and uh, appropriate at the time that I needed them. And they came in at the exact right time as well. Thank you for that. Tell me this. What was he like as a, just a human being? I'm curious. Well, I think that while I believe that he was a great salesperson, I struggled a little bit with him personally. My parents were divorced at a very young age. I was two years old when my parents got divorced. And although we maintained a relationship through the years, you know, it was a little bit of a struggle, you know, because I felt like I wanted to connect with him on a personal level. I always connected with him professionally. I really did. And, and his door was always open, both personally and professionally as well. But I always felt like I connected with him on a professional level when I got a little bit older, much better than I did on a, on a personal level, just having dinnertime conversation, that was not a typical, you know, we, we got to see him on the weekend. So my experience with my dad was really all about the lessons I was learning by him picking me up on a Saturday morning and dropping me off on Saturday night. So while it was limited, I still learned a lot of personal lessons as well. So tell me this, what were the values that he passed on to you? Well, 
I think one of the things that he really worked hard at helping me understand was it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks about you. <laughs> and that's that's a struggle even as an adult for especially somebody in sales that gets rejected all the time. I mean, we're in sales, we get rejected much much more than we get accepted in the in the sales game. So he really taught me that it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks about you and honestly, most people really aren't thinking about you. <laughs> so that was a valuable lesson. I think that he really encouraged me to fail as often as I could because there is no lesson that comes out of success. The only lessons come out of failure. He helped me understand the importance of making decisions. Um, There's a yes and there's a no, but there is no maybe. All maybes equal no. So why not understand that you have to make decisions in life? You just can't be wishy-washy. So I would say that those are probably three big aspects of growing up with Dave Sandler that really hit home with me. Absolutely. I mean, the underpinning philosophy that supports the whole Sandler methodology is TA, transaction analysis, and the introduction of the drama triangle to realize when you get sucked into that gameplay. And Ryan Holiday has a lovely book called Ego is the Enemy. And every time you get sucked into the drama triangle, it's your ego being hooked, whether you're playing persecutor, rescuer, or victim. And I did some research a few years ago and came up, identified something called the Winner's Triangle by A.C. Choi. Have you come across that? No, I don't know that one. I'd love to look, look that up. The Winner's Triangle. Bruce Lee was asked once, what's the best way to avoid a punch? And he said, be somewhere else. <laughs> this, this is somewhere else. So instead of being a victim, you go vulnerable. Instead of being rescuing, you're nurturing and empathic. And instead of being persecuting, you're assertive. And that is a really powerful position to take. And it certainly fits with the the philosophy that uh, David taught, which is the number one rule in selling is nurture, nurture, nurture. And I see that coming through a lot of your work, that whole piece about empowerment, about giving people the right to fail, understanding that the power of intent is so important. So I'm curious how growing up, you implemented that and that, how that uh, helped you form your career. And I think that listening to all the philosophies and, and, and lessons that my dad learned, you know, I really feel like, again, you're so wrapped up in it when you're in the middle of the game that you don't even see it coming. I can remember one time when I, when I was out of work, I had moved back to Baltimore from New Jersey where I was living. I moved back to Baltimore and um, the job that I thought I was going to have wasn't available for me. So now I have, I think one, maybe even two kids at the time, a wife that was not working and myself. And my dad said, you need to make it a full-time job just to go out and, and find a job. You need to make sure that you stop the bleeding you know, he referred to the stop the bleeding, meaning the bills are going to continue coming in. You can't start, you can't feel sorry for yourself. Get over that right now because there is no feeling sorry for yourself. You don't have time and you're wasting your energy by feeling sorry for yourself. My dad was a big believer in whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. You know, so he taught me the importance of using that time, that lesson that I learned to actually create a little bit of confidence in myself. He said, you leave the house at nine o'clock in the morning, just like you're going to your job or 8.30, just like you're going for your job. And uh, you tell your wife not to let you come back in the house uh, until five o'clock or 5.30, whenever you would get off your normal job. And you spend your entire day looking for a job. 
there is nothing more humbling. And this is the time before the internet. So this was at a time when there's nothing more humbling than to walk into 10, 15, 20 offices with my resume in my hand and that big bottom lip and that old Dougie that I was, that mentality that says, you'll really love it. You'll really love this newspaper. You'll really love this baseball glove, whatever it is. And um, I learned the importance of emotional selling rather than coming at it from a, a standpoint of features and benefits. You know, there's no features and benefits. There's, there's how does it, you know, does it keep an old, can it keep an old lady warm? You know, why would I want to buy a heater? You know, I just want to know if it keeps me warm. I don't care. I don't give a damn about all of the, the stats and facts and figures. I had bills coming in. I needed to get myself fixed. And the way to do that was to, was to get in and get a job. So I know that that's a roundabout way to answer the question, but living with this guy, it was, it was just a lesson every day in what to do and how to believe in yourself from a different perspective than everybody else believes in you. I think I'd take that a little bit further as well. I mean, one of the things, well, several of the things that I've learned since becoming a Sandler franchisee and living it every day is that you have to take action. You're personally responsible for everything that happens to you. And your self-concept is absolutely at the heart of everything that you do. You will only perform to the level your self-concept will allow. And a lesson that I'm learning over time is that happiness is a choice. We choose our emotional state. We can choose to abdicate our power and give it away to bullies or to circumstance. Or we can choose to take the bull by the horns and stop faffing about and whining and moaning and grumbling and being the victim and just get out there and take action and be decisive about it. And the, the whole piece that you mentioned about making, you know, becoming a great decision maker, the whole philosophy that every time you make a decision, you just own a little, bigger, a little uh, more pieces of yourself. That's really critical. I'm very curious about what he taught you in terms of prioritization and making sure that you're putting the right things in the right bucket and spending time on them instead of letting the sort of hyperloy and the mess take over. Well, let me go back to, to something you just said a moment ago, because I completely agree that you have to take ownership in who you are and, and who you I, as my dad would say. So you have to kind of take ownership of, of that. And you know what I found was happening was when I was in the world of, and still am because I still sell every day now, we all sell our ideas and concepts to other people, even if we're not directly in a position to sell to the end user. But I can recall many, many times as I'm prospecting and getting these no's and getting these no's and letting it affect my attitude and slowing down the prospecting process or slowing down or, or having a poor attitude when it comes to talking to somebody for fear that they're just going to do the same thing that these other five prospects have done before them, which is say no. Then a sale, a win comes along. And this was a win that was planted, a seed that was planted probably a month, two months, three months ago. And then I get happy. And then all of a sudden, my attitude changes. And I just realized that if I just kept that same attitude of being happy all the time, having a positive attitude all the time, even when these people are saying no, I mean, I don't want to go you know, through the process of I love it, I love it, I love it. That's just not my personality. And that wasn't my dad's personality either. But if you can keep an understanding on that, that when they say no to you about buying your product or service, they're not saying no to you personally. They're just saying no to your products or services. It's just a numbers game. And all we need to do is just keep that attitude of the yes seeds we planted months ago. Just maintain that attitude through this entire process. One thing my associate came up, we both teach, is that you prospect for choice. If you have a full sales pipeline, 
then you can choose whether you're going to work with someone or not. You can choose to walk away. But if you need it, then they have you by the throat. If you want it but don't need it, then you have choice. And you know the whole piece is fill the pipeline up and do a little and often stay constantly on top of that. Well, Marcus, the biggest issue that I find, and I do a lot of customer service training in my profession, and it kind of teeters onto the sales training side of things, although that's just not my game. I, I, I leave that to you and the professionals at Sandler to do that. But what's so amazing, and again, I'll go back to my dad's philosophy. You walk into somebody's office and um, their desk looks like a skating rink. You know, they're completely empty. They've spent their entire day shuffling papers from the left side of their desk to the right side of their desk, and they confuse being busy with uh, being effective or, or being productive. And all we need to do, and you said it just a moment ago, you just have to be busy. I mean, you just have to be, you, you have to be smart. You have to be working. If you're not working, if you're not doing what you're being paid to do, which is prospect and sell and close and build relationships. If you're spending all of your time thinking you're working and getting ready, you just never get anything done. You got to get to it though. Absolutely. I mean, one thing that I see all the time is that people are busy being active rather than effective, (laughs) taking action. It's lots of busy work. Something that has struck me about your work and certainly in terms of our philosophy is that And in fact, I dug out a quote of yours, exceptional customer service is about creating exceptional buying experience, not a sale. And that's a piece I'd really like to touch on because I think customer experience, artificial intelligence, and the channel are definitely going to be game changers for our profession. And the CX piece, customer experience, I think is so pitifully misunderstood. Do you mind giving some thoughts around that? And when it begins and I know the answer, but when it sort of ends. And that's a, that's a great question. So what I, what I look at, and we're fairly common with doing this now as a part of our doing an analysis of an organization when we go in, if you're not outlining what your customer journey is, the moment that your customer comes in contact with your brand, whether it is as a referral from somebody else through the time that they get support after using your product, You've got to consider that the entire opportunity to build a relationship through positive customer, through a positive CX, through a positive customer experience. If you don't outline what your customer journey is and examine each one of those touch points along the way, you really have no idea what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. You're just leaving it to chance. So I would say the first place to start in bettering the customer journey through your organization and and bettering the customer experiences, simply outline every opportunity that that customer has as far as touch points with your organization. Outline that entire map, that entire journey, because you will find that you're missing opportunities to, number one, provide a higher level of service to that customer. But secondly, provide an opportunity for your organization to put more of the services that your company provides into the hands of those customers. If you're someone that's providing customer service training, let's say, or, or even sales training, and you're not looking at every possible opportunity for you to upsell that customer, you're now leaving it up to finding a new customer to fill that dollar gap. And I would rather work on a client that's with me already to put more services in their hands and go out and find a new customer. That's the biggest challenge of all. I want to take two points out of that. The first one, with the Sandler Enterprise Selling Program, we've developed a model called CARE. Keep, attain, recapture, and expand. And 80% of your time should be on expand. And especially with enterprise accounts. Enterprise accounts are marketplaces in and of themselves. You know, one enterprise account can buy you the second and third home. 
why would you go out and work so damn hard to prospect for new business? Recaptures. You know, if you blew it, go back, apologize and ask for forgiveness and try and get your way back in. That's easier than selling to someone cold who says, yeah. I don't know you. I don't know your products. I don't know your company. I don't know your market. Why should I buy from you? And I, I've added another one, which is SAC, which, again, I'm not sure how that would fit in with your philosophy. <laughs> but get rid of the ones the where there clearly isn't a good cultural fit. If it's difficult to do business with them or it's not fun, pass them on to a competitor. Yeah, that's actually one of the, in one of the final chapters of my book, there is a, I don't remember on what page or what chapter it is, but there is a chapter there. And one of the, one of the points that I make is not everyone is your customer, nor do you want everybody to be your customer. I have the philosophy that 3% of the market is my target market. And anyone could buy sales training, but there's only a tiny fraction who can cope with my cantankerousness, <laughs> who's willing to pay my outrageously high fee and put up with the kind of pressure that working with me involves. So it's only them that I want to work with. And anyone else who comes to me is mad. In fairness, those ones are mad too. But (laughs) (laughs) Now, another element of the work that you do is around leadership. And one thing I loved was when you talked about showing the way, not telling the way. I'm curious, first of all, let's start from David Sandler, how he embodied that philosophy, how you've then brought that into your work. My dad was never afraid to roll up his uh, his sleeves and, and get busy working. Uh, I think he actually felt more comfortable in that environment than he did in the leadership role. I think that personally, my dad had an organization that was so far ahead of everyone when it comes to ideas with sales training. I don't even think that he realized it was going to grow to the extent that it has grown. And I will tell you that one-on-one, when you're dealing with my dad, and I saw many times where he was in a sales situation sitting across the table from a, from a prospect, I said, I kept saying in my mind, I'm like, this prospect doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> he doesn't, you know, you know, he doesn't stand a chance. And my dad used to talk about the, you know, when we would do a little debriefing in the car afterwards, or we would talk at some point in the future about it. And um, what's great about the scenario that he set up is, you know, and he probably tells this many times on his tapes is that you put me in a stadium at a table in the middle of the stadium directly across from a prospect and you have 50,000 people cheering me on, I'm going to close that guy no matter what. That guy, he doesn't stand a chance. Now, my dad would do that without it. He could do that with zero audience, just believing that that stadium was filled with people. And that was one of the best things that I remember about my dad is, is his level of confidence and his ability, but not an ego. His level of confidence, but no ego in it because he knew once you let your ego, once you show your ego, it's over and it's over for you. You're, you're not going to make the sale. It's very interesting. I mean, the whole philosophy of uh, the parent, adult, child dynamic, when we teach this, it's the child says, dad, dad, can I have one? And then turns to the parent for permission. And if the parent gives permission, goes to the adult, goes out and finds evidence to justify the emotional decision. And then you have to go back with the post-sell to the parent, ego state, to make sure there's no backouts. And it's really interesting because that process is identical to the seduction process. And what I find really interesting is that what we actually teach is a communications model. It happens to work really well in a selling environment. It happens to work really well in a management and leadership environment. But ultimately, all we're doing is we're dealing with a a human communications model. You attract, make comfortable, 
go through the seduction process where you get them to tell their story. You give them the brushes, the paint, the canvas, and say, paint me your picture. And then you push them away gently and have them surrender. It's a fabulous methodology. <laughs> it's great. It's one that is so natural in my house growing up. That was how everything was done. So again, I was so exposed to it on an everyday basis. I just thought that this is how everybody did. I didn't realize that there was another way. As we come to the top of our time together, I'm curious, what are the values that you passed on to your kids? Wow. Well, a couple of things. Uh, confidence without ego is ultra important. Also, I like the fact that I can tell my kids beyond a shadow of a doubt that working for yourself is better than, than working for anybody that you ever possibly would. So entrepreneurship is one of those things. It wasn't called entrepreneurship when we were doing it in the early 90s. I don't know what it was called at the time, but for us, being an entrepreneur is the only way to go. I teach my kids how to look for signals from people, either through body language or through emotion, be compassionate, empathetic. I really do think that empathy uh, will carry you much further than knowledge will. If you can show somebody how much you care, it really doesn't matter what you know. You know, you can walk in. We talk about that guy that, that worked at Sears as the salesperson selling heaters and going through the entire list of all of the features and benefits of the heater. And the old woman just said, I just want to know, does it keep an old lady warm? I tell that story over and over again to my kids because it's so important. People don't care about the knowledge that you have in their head. They only care about what their needs are. And if we can fulfill their needs and we can get them to see that, that we have them on our own and we don't have to convince them that this is something that we can provide, but they ask us, hey, do you have this? You know, and then don't get so excited. Don't get so excited. So, so for me, teaching my kids the valuable lessons about selling, whether it's relationship selling, personal selling, professional selling, whatever it is that we're selling, don't leave the human element out of the sales game. You must include that as a part of it as well. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you cannot separate Doug Sandler, the human being, from Doug Sandler, the entrepreneur, the podcaster, the writer. And have you come across a chap called Mark Goulston? No. You, see, you know a lot more people than I do. I very rarely leave my house. <laughs> Mark Goulston is probably the foremost expert on listening, empathic listening. And he's written a fantastic book, which I'd urge everybody to read, called Just Listen. He also wrote another book, which is a must-read, called Talking to Crazy. And <laughs> talking to crazy that you're talking to first is yourself, because we all seem to come from dysfunctional, messed-up families and uh, where, that live in the drama triangle. But he teaches one really important thing, which is that everybody wants to be heard, to feel felt, and to be understood. And in selling... The first thing we have to do is make them comfortable with us, human being to human being. And that starts with our intent. It starts with selling by being there to help, not to close a deal. It's not about making a transaction happen. That piece around the relationship is so key. They might buy from you once if you sell to them. But if you care, you pay attention, you listen. And attention is a currency. You pay attention. And one of the things I see to happen all the time is salespeople are so keen to show how clever they are. Mm -hmm. And you talk about puking product. They focus on all the wrong things. It's like someone having a new kid and they have to show photos of their ugly baby to everybody, whether they want to see it or not. So I'm very curious. Let's wrap up on this one thing about relationship building. A lot of people talk about it's all about the relationship and they get all fluffy. Give us some you know, hard, practical tips in terms of what it takes to make, build, and also to break 
a good relationship. I would wrap it up all in one word. And that word would be listen. Just listen. Just listen. Just stop, stop talking and start listening. The more you listen, the better the relationship. People will think that you are the most amazing, knowledgeable, smart person out there. I can walk in a room. I haven't watched the news, I think, literally in nine years. I have no idea what's going on in the outside world, yet I can hold the best conversation when it comes to news and politics because all I do is I will sit there and I will listen and I will hear them and I will nod my head and I will add to the conversation. I will say things like, that's interesting. Tell me more. Can you unpack that a little bit? I love how you say that. Do you think that's a view that other people would hold? I mean, all of those things, those open-ended statements. And at the end of the conversation, they're like, this was the greatest conversation I've ever had. How do we have more of these? And I, you don't have to be knowledgeable. It actually is to your detriment to have more knowledge in your head, I think. We teach the dummy curve to that effect. And I have meetings with prospects where they tell me, you know, I've never even told my wife. Or you know more about me in this hour than I, my business partner does of 16 years. Right. And it's using that approach of genuinely being fully present and being interested and listening with powerful, simple questions to get them to talk further. Well, Marcus, I'm looking forward to hearing feedback from your community. And I really want to want to be able to open this up to anybody else that would want me to chat about uh, my dad. I'm happy to, or we can continue the conversation at some point I as well. I would love that. Doug, thank you so much. I'm conscious we're just coming up to the half hour. Could you give the name of your book and maybe your website and an event that you're running that's coming up? Sure. Well, the, uh, the book is called Nice Guys Finish First. It's available on Amazon, really easy to get over there. And um, you can check out some of my services just at Doug at DougSandler.com. We're in the uh, podcast production business with a company called Turnkey Podcast. And uh, you can just Google that. It's there as well. But um, I'd love to chat with anybody, again, whether it's Sandler-related or, or just new media space-related, or you just want to, uh, to chew the fat for a little while, I'm happy to chat with you. Doug, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you, and look forward to speaking to you again soon. Take Great, care. Marcus. Thanks again. That's Marcus Kauke signing off from the Inquisitor podcast. Look forward to hearing from you soon. Bye.